Welcome back to the show, everyone. It's Dina Kalmet here and Susan Davis with Jesus 24-7. And today we're going to continue in the series, Revelation for Beginners, Chapter 14. Susan, are you there? Yes, I am, Dina. Well, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you. You are welcome. So we're going to dig into chapter 14 today. Kind of exciting. Right, right. We're really getting there. We're getting into some really heavy duty parts of Revelation. And we're still hanging in there. Look at that. You know, it's not that bad, guys. We can do this. (laughs) Yeah, in fact, we're like more than halfway done, right? Right, right. And we've got a lot of really great stuff coming up. So we just have to, you know, like the little engine that could, we just have to keep on keeping on. (laughs) We're going to make it. We're going to do it. Amen. (laughs) But yeah, if you have tuned in to join us, then you are part of this special programming that we're doing called Revelation for Beginners. And this is where we are trying to break down Revelation one verse at a time. And we're talking about it, and we're trying to make Revelation a little bit easier to follow and understand and get into, so that everybody can go off and and study Revelation on their own after this. Right, Dina? Absolutely. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to make it more understandable as you study it. Like, what's going on here? Why are we turning this direction? Why are we going that direction? And so we're just trying to give some tips and a lot of hints on how to really grasp what's going on here. Because it's true, Revelation is not your normal read. It's very different from a lot of other books in the Bible or other things that you would read. And so we know that, and that's why we're trying to help people to really get into this and really understand it. But the amazing thing is that with this book, any book in the Bible, you have access to the author. Right. And isn't that great? <laughs> yeah. You access. <laughs> direct access to the author. Like there are right. so many books out there. There are so many people that write some really wonderful books about God. But you <laughs> can actually go to God yourself and say, hey, God, what does this mean? And you know what? He's always going to give you the answer and the truth well dina what i'm going to do is a very brief and quick review of where we are how we got to where we are and what came before you know just now coming in you can get a feel for what we're doing now i do recommend that instead of starting here at chapter 14 with us you can go ahead and listen but go ahead and go back to 1 through 13 and watch all of that but I'm going to try to break this down so that it makes a little sense about where we are. Revelation, of course, is a revelation given to the disciple John by Jesus Christ of the future coming, you know, what's to come and in this world. And because it is a fallen world, God will ultimately deal with it. And that is pretty much what is revealed in this revelation. And chapter 1 is very much an intro, and the book of Revelation is set up very much like a uh, past, present, future. So the past would be chapter 1, in which Jesus brings John into his presence in sort of an out-of-body experience, and where he shows John Revelation. 
John is quite a bit older at that point than he was initially when he was with Jesus as a disciple. This would put him way up into years. I'm, I don't know. I'm guessing perhaps he might have been in his 80s. There might be historical reference to that. I'm not sure, but he's he's a much older man. He's on an island called Patmos. He's there. It's a prison, and he was there for his testimony of Jesus Christ. This is where this all takes place. And so we see a lot of introduction there in chapter 1. Chapter 2 and 3 is technically considered to be present tense. It is the church age, and it starts approximately the time of John right up until the rapture. There are seven letters that Jesus addresses to the seven churches, and those churches are not denominations. They are actual descriptions of church types really more thoughts, people's thoughts of understanding of God and how they're misguided or how they're guided, actually. So you can go back and read those two chapters. We are actually in the church age right now. And so those two sections, chapter two and three, would literally be present tense in the book of Revelation. Okay, those two chapters, after those seven letters, mostly admonishments of Jesus for these churches, But after you get to the end of those chapters, when you get into chapter 4, that's a big chapter because that is future tense. From 4 to chapter 22 in Revelation, we're looking at future tense. That means it hasn't happened yet. It's to happen. Chapter 4 and 5 takes place in heaven. John is taken to heaven. He's shown heaven and four and five and what he sees in four is the removal of the bride of christ from the world who is along with the restrainer who's taken out of the way and the dead in christ rise first those are the elders and they're given crowns rewarded for their lives in the earth then after they receive the crowns in chapter five We see that that same group throws those crowns at Jesus' feet. And then we begin to see Jesus come forward as the only one who is able or qualified to open the seals. Now, the seals we hear about are literally the 21 judgments of God for the earth for their evil. And so those 21 judgments come in the form of seven seals, which Jesus opens. He's the only one that can do it. And there's seven trumpets, and there's also seven bowls, which are also known as vials. And so, all together, there are 21. So, chapter 6 begins tribulation, which is the opening of the seals. The first four seals are actually called the four horses of the apocalypse. And so, you've got the white horse which introduces the Antichrist, Red Horse, War. We've got the Black Horse, which is, you know, poverty and famine. And then we come up with the Pale Horse, who is death. And then we just go forward from that point. So we're going through. We begin to see all of these seals and trumpets opening up, and we understand further what they are. Now, we have a list of those seals, and we've provided that list in the past, but we're going to cover 14 next. So and that's the chapter we're in. But just so you know, 6 through 11 of Revelation discusses the section of the tribulation period. And then what happens is 12 through 19 is also a discussion of the section which we also call tribulation. 
Now, the funny thing about it is, as we've said before, they are both talking about the same time frame. So it's not like start with six and go through 19. It's two different sections of Revelation that are talking about the same time period, which is tribulation and great tribulation, but it's from two different perspectives. And it's just extremely like the four Gospels talks about the life of Jesus Christ in four different versions. So that's what makes Revelation so very confusing for people is they get a little lost because they don't understand that 6 through 11 is covering the same time frame that 12 through 19 covers, only from two different perspectives. So we're going to talk about chapter 14 here, and we're going to take a look at what's going on in 14 because we've gone through 6 through 11, and now we're moving on into the other parts of the discussion of tribulation. So we're actually in tribulation at this point. So I hope this all makes sense (laughs) as, you know, we're just trying our best to make this understandable because if you've never really studied Revelation before, it can be a little bit challenging because we don't always understand what's going on. Now, here's another thing, too. As we're going through the book of Revelation, you're going to see a lot of starting and stopping. Like, you'll be seeing a lot of discussion about the the 21 judgments, and then all of a sudden you'll just stop. A chapter will just kind of go to a whole different topic, and, like, it'll discuss 144,000, and then, you know, after that, then we go right back into the 21 judgments. So there's a little bit of, I guess you could call them breaks. Snack breaks. Pardon me? Snack breaks. Yeah, we have snack breaks. (laughs) When when the judgments get a little too intense, then we take a little quickie break, and then we get back into the... (laughs) Or (laughs) halftime. Right, right. This is a very busy period of human history, the upcoming, the future tribulation. And so that's why there's so much of this Bible dedicated to it, right, Dina? That's right. Okay, so with that said, let's go ahead with chapter 14, verse 1, and it starts with, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Okay, this is the same group that we covered earlier in Revelation. It's the hundred and forty-four thousand, and they are being brought up again. And one of the things about Zion, it's mentioned here, is Zion is a very important location in the Bible because it's the future capital of the entire world in the life to come. And it's also the apple of God's eye, Zion. And so let's take a look at scripture that points to that. And we can see in Psalm 48.2, it says, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. And then Psalm 76, 2 says, in Salem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion, or, you know, Jerusalem. So then we can take a look at another scripture, and in Psalm 102, 13, it says, thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion or Jerusalem, a.k.a. Jerusalem. And Psalm 146.10 says, The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Again, the Lord shall reign forever, even thy God, O Zion, until all generations. Praise ye the Lord. 
And we can't leave out Zechariah 14.4. This will be one I'm sure most people recognize. It says, His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountains shall remove toward the north and half toward the south. And so that is the second coming of Jesus at the end when he arrives to stop all the battles at Armageddon and everything that's going on in the world. And he comes, where does he come? He comes right down to this same area of Zion, which is the area he loves. And we know. So that's a real important scripture. Okay, let's begin with verse 2 here. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And boy, have you ever heard a harpist? I love harps, by the way. I just had to mention that. Beautiful music. Uh, well, verse... it's, it's what David uh, used to play for uh, King Saul to calm his soul right. and to uh, rid him of demons. Exactly. Yeah, I love the harp. It's a beautiful instrument. In the hands of the right person. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay, so verse 3 says, And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne, and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty-four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. So we hear quite a bit about those guys and we go on and hear more actually i'll just say we covered this earlier and i just want to mention who they are there are 12 tribes of israel okay and these are the 12 tribes times twelve thousand each and if you do the math if you multiply 12 tribes times twelve thousand of each tribe you will come up with the figure 144,000, and that's where that figure comes from So let's go forward with verse 4. It says, These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. And these were redeemed from among men, being the first fruit unto God and to the Lamb. And I just want to jump in here real quick and say a lot of people, see, people like to interpret the Bible in various ways, Dina. Mm-hmm. And one of the interpretations for this particular scripture is that they believe that these guys, these Jewish men. Because they are men and they're oh, yeah. not women. No, but, there's not been, at all. Yeah, they've, there's been some uh, speculation that this could be part, you know, part of them could be women. No, no, no. They're virgin Jewish men, period. That's right. what the Bible says. Right, and there's speculation that they could be other faiths and other, you know, type Gentiles and things of that nature. But they are exactly what the Bible says. They are male Jewish men of the 12 tribes of Israel. And a lot of people speculate that when it talks about their virginity, that it's a type of spiritual virginity. But I personally lean to the fact that it says they're virgins and it says right here in the first verse or in the first sentence, these are they which were not defiled with women. (laughs) And, you know, I just can't put that together with spiritual virginity. I just can't. I'm sorry. I struggle with that. (laughs) So, okay. 
but that's just me. I guess I'm more literal than other people. <laughs> and and something else. There's another speculation. They are here on earth. They're human. They're not going to come from heaven to do this. They're not raptured they're saints. Not, they're not angelic, right? Yeah, they're not exactly. angelic. They're human. Right. Again, human right. Jewish virgin men that have yeah period just what the bible says can't can't get it wrong if you read it word for word yeah okay so we'll go forward here and take a look at verse five because we're still (laughs) reading about these guys and in their mouth was found no guile for they are without fault before the throne of god okay that coordinates with the scripture first peter 222 222 talks about jesus who did no sin neither was guile found in his mouth okay so very similar to that particular verse so we go on to verse six and it says and i saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people okay well i have plenty to say about this scripture and so i'm going to lead out with i think dina understands that one of the reasons that we decided to move forward in teaching or talking discussing revelation our ongoing frustration with all the terrible misinterpretations of this book yes and so this would give us an opportunity to you know try to clarify a lot of these misinterpretations so for christians today a whole lot of people in the church even ministry are saying that the rapture can't happen yet because the gospel has not been preached to the whole world okay maybe you've heard that before dina have you heard that yes yes i've heard that (laughs) they're they're not reading the whole book (laughs) that's right well that scripture would be very accommodating to people who are lukewarm and who like the world and who are not looking for the Lord's return and are looking for excuses to not look for his return. Okay. Mm-hmm. But that would be a fallacy. And we can see it right here in this scripture. I want you to know that the one who comes and preaches the gospel to the whole world is an angel. Amen. And it will not even be a human being. And wow, you talk about misinterpretation. I mean, these pastors are saying, well, we haven't gone out and preached the the word to the whole world. And so don't even bother looking for the rapture. Well, I'm here to say, Mr. Pastor, that it isn't even human beings that will put the word out. It is right here. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Okay, it's right there. It's in black and white. It's very clear. And so it goes back to saying, okay, if you have studied Revelation with us up to chapter 14, then you know that we showed very clearly that the elders who are the dead in Christ who rose first, followed by the saints who are the bride of Christ, were taken out back in chapter 4, okay? And so here we see the gospel being continued to be preached throughout the world here, and we're all the way into the tribulation period. The midpoint. So, oh, yeah. yeah. I, we, are way in, we are way here. We're in the and great it, tribulation. 
Yes, and the angel is doing the preaching here, the teaching and preaching. It actually says preach. So I just wanted to make that statement. If you are hearing that from your pastor or someone you know has said, oh, forget about watching for the Lord because this hasn't happened yet, and we've got to get busy and go out and, you know, spread the gospel. Yes, we do. But that doesn't have to preclude watching for the Lord's return. And here's why, Dina. Mm -hmm. The rapture is not the same as the second coming. And we're going to get a little bit more into that in this book. But I just want to say really quickly that the rapture is a signless event. Amen. In fact, it is a sign of the second coming. And all the signs that people are watching for are for the second coming. The rapture is Jesus does not step down on the earth at the time of the rapture. The church goes up to be with the Lord. It says, come up hither. They go upward. And so, therefore, they meet Jesus in the sky, in the cloud. It's Amen. a meeting in the air. Whereas his second coming, where he actually stepped down, was what I read to you prior, when his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. That's in Zechariah 14.4. That's when he steps foot on the soil. And so that is when he is literally the second coming. And so this is, you know, something that just has to be clarified. And so if you have been told, oh, you don't need to watch for the Lord because this has not happened yet, that is absolutely wrong, wrong, wrong. Okay. And so I hope I've clarified that a little bit. And so please <laughs> go back to watching for the Lord. Okay. Yes. A, and and something, something else that just came to mind. I have actually, I have thought of this and I've actually had people ask the question, how is God going to reach those people on those most remote islands? Well, uh -huh. angels are supernatural. So they're going to be able to go to those most remote places that humans are not able to reach. But there are some islands where natives live where they will not allow anybody to go near their their land. And well, right. Yeah. Uh, this, yeah. Right here in verse six of chapter 14, all that business is taken care of. And it will happen before the second coming because it's right here in verse 6. Amen. So it does Amen. happen. Yeah. So God's word will come to pass, just as he said. And let's take a look now at verse 7. And that same angel said with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of the waters. Okay, so this angel is making a declaration, a request for people, and a warning. And God sends messengers to warn, and the angel means messenger, actually. And he sends messengers to warn for two reasons. One is so that people will turn back to God before it's too late. And the other is when they don't turn back to God, they can never say, we were never warned. Okay. Amen. So it's kind of a twofold operation going on there. So let's go ahead and take a look at this next scripture, verse 8. And we see another declaration here. And it says, and there followed a, yet another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. 
Okay, so we see this declaration right here, and that's it. That's it for chapter 14. We don't see anything more being said about Babylon beyond this particular scripture right here. So we will hold that thought, basically, and we'll move forward because we're going to hear more about Babylon in future chapters. So we're just going to put that aside for now and just say, yeah, remember that because we'll come back and read that again. But right now, that's it. There's no more discussion about it in this chapter. But verse 9 says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, and verse 10 goes on, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And verse 11, And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So this is like a really serious warning from this third angel about the mark of the beast, right? Yeah, I mean, he's pretty clear what happens. Very clear, exactly. And is this literal? Yes, I believe this is literal. So many people want to dispute that, but it's it's very clear. It's, it's absolutely the way it will be. No water, and, uh, no food for eternity. No, no, not no, no snack breaks. No, no snack breaks. No. <laughs> this is eternity. I don't know how. I don't know how else to. Um, the Bible is clear. You want to take that literally? Oh yeah, I would definitely do that. So, so torture pretty... every single day okay. for the rest of your yeah. life for eternity. Right. I think not I've good. I've driven my point. You've got it, and so definitely would clearly and about ever ever doing something like that just there are no words for how bad it's going to be i guess those words pretty much said it all okay well we're going to do a little mini teaching within the teaching okay coming up on this next verse uh verse 12 it says here is the patience of the saints Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. All right. Do you know that this lines up exactly with the scripture in a prior chapter, which is chapter 12 and verse 17, chapter 12. And it says, and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Now, remember, the woman here is Israel. And the remnant of her seed are those, you know, who pursue the Lord Jesus. And it says, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So essentially, this is actually the same scripture in both references. Isn't that interesting? That's very interesting. Now, what do these two scriptures have in common? These are talking about the saints and the ones who are accepted by the Lord. And they have a couple things in common. It says they both keep the commandments of God, and they both have the testimony and faith of Jesus Christ. So that's pretty important stuff. And this is important to know because so many people today are being confused by religious spirits. Dina? Yeah. 
And let me talk about that right now. The churches are absolutely full of religious spirits. Okay, what am I saying? Well, the religious spirits are a spirit of confusion. And we talked about this before. And they, what they do is they work right within the churches. Okay, they're not working down at the bars, the local bars, and, you know, uh, that kind of place. They're right within the churches. And they are all about confusion. Because what they do is they appear religious, but they're evil. Okay? Mm-hmm. And that goes right along with the scripture that talks about Lucifer as being an angel of light. He comes as an angel of light. And so it's all about deception. And one of the ways that religious spirits deceive is this whole idea that people are dumping the commandments, Dina, which is the absolute opposite of what the scripture says right here in Revelation. And let me remind people, this is not Old Testament. This is New Testament future tense, right, Dina? That's right. And you actually, or we actually did a video. We showed uh, verses from the Old Testament in the New Testament. Right. All through the New Testament. Yeah, the Ten Commandments. Yeah, all throughout the... The Ten Commandments in the New Testament. Every Mm -hmm. one of the commandments that were on the stone tablets of Moses can be found, discussed, and promoted in the New Testament. Each one of them. And so the confusion among the religious spirits and the Christians, the baby Christians, is they don't know what's going on. Okay, they hear, oh, we don't have to follow these anymore. And then they're like, but wait a minute. It says, thou shalt not kill. I think that's still okay to follow, right? That's right. I mean, the confusion is so huge, and it is coming from religious spirits. And so, but here, it's very clear. The Lord has said that these here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So I just wanted to point that out. And so I'm going to go forward with, and oh, please go back and watch that video if you have any doubt about what we're saying because we go into much more detail about that topic. So Dina can add that down below. You can see that link for that particular video. Yeah. I implore you to take a look at that. So let's go forward with verse 13. And it says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. And verse 14 goes on, and it says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Okay, just a side note about Jesus, and he he is always coming in the clouds, or not always, but frequently we see him with clouds, and there are many references to Jesus with clouds we can see in first thessalonians 4 17 that we will be caught up together in the clouds also revelation 1 7 it says he cometh with clouds and so often we see jesus associated with the clouds isn't that interesting Mm -hmm. and that's okay with me i like clouds you know (laughs) when he was involved in the transfiguration there was a cloud there 
And so a lot of interesting stuff about that. And we, we often hear about the Shekinah glory of God, which is the Shekinah cloud and the cloud that traveled with the Israelites in the wilderness. And so we know that that was in reference to Christ as well. So a whole lot of information that you can take a look at that. And that would have been Exodus 19, 9 and Exodus 13, 21, 22 for anybody wants to look that up. Verse 15, we see, and another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And 16 says, and he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Okay, so he who sat on the cloud is Jesus. You know, let's talk about this for just a minute. I just want to comment on, you know, Jesus sitting on a cloud, Dina. Mm -hmm. This reminds me of Jesus walking on the water, right? Oh, yeah. Isn't that sort of the same interesting thing, perspective? Because he has command of the physics, okay? <laughs> he does. And the element, and, you know, he can walk on water. He can sit on clouds. I mean, wow, this is just amazing, isn't it? He is incredible. Well, he's supernatural. Yes, he is, by the way. And, you know, it's interesting to note that when Peter left the boat to go out and meet Jesus in the water, right, mm -hmm. when he called him out of the boat to walk on the water as he came up, Mm -hmm. Jesus was fully human at that point. You know, he was fully, he was a human being walking on water. So I, there's no reason not to believe that he wouldn't be such when he's sitting on a cloud. Okay. So I take this all pretty literal right here. Okay. I'm just saying, but let's go ahead. 17 says, and another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. And he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, and that would be Jesus, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. Verse 19, we see, And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and it cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Okay, Dina, right at this point, we're going to take a break, a teaching break, right at this juncture, because we see Jesus being told by angel to thrust the sickle into the earth and gather the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Now, it is interesting to note that as we're coming down the pike of Revelation, that so many people think that the rapture is a post-tribulation event, right? Mm -hmm. And are teaching that theology. And so there's a lot of confusion about these events here, chapter 14, and the rapture, which we wrapped up back in chapter 4. So I'm asking people, go back and watch our chapter 4 video but let's go ahead and take a look at the difference scripturally between the rapture and the second coming. Now, I mentioned previously that the rapture is a signless event and that it is actually a sign itself of the second coming. 
So let's take a look at the difference of the scriptures in reference to rapture versus second coming. Because what we want to do is we want to clear this up and clarify this, not with our own ideas, but with scripture itself. Okay, Dina? Okay. So first we see rapture. If you go to 1 Thessalonians 4.17, you'll see it says the church will meet Christ in the air. Okay, then we go to second coming, and it says the church will return to the earth with Christ. And that's in Zechariah 14.4. So you can't have it both ways. So one is a meeting in the air, and the other is, you know, the church, the same group returning with Jesus. So they literally have to go up to come down, right, Dina? That's right. <laughs> so that's kind of the difference there. Then we go on to uh, take a look at rapture versus second coming in First Thessalonians 4.17. And it says the church will be taken to heaven. And the second coming, the church will return to the earth from heaven. Again, we see in second coming Jude 14, Matthew 25:31. So one is a going up and the other is second coming is a coming down with Christ when he sets foot on the Mount of Olives to stop the end times great tribulation. So let's take a look at point three and it says in the rapture Christ will come for his saints and that's second Thessalonians 2 ones to one second coming. Christ will come with his saints, Revelation 19, 14. Isn't that interesting? He comes for the saints, and then he comes with the saints. I think that's a big difference there in those little participles, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's pretty significant. Point four, the rapture, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 51, is seen only by the believers. And in the second coming, every eye will see him. Jesus. And so we see that in these scriptures mentioned in Revelation 1.7.5. In rapture, Christ himself gathers the saints in 1 Thessalonians. Second coming, in Matthew 24, it says the angels will gather the elect. Isn't that interesting? Two different looks completely. And so we move along. Let's go to point six. In rapture, the believers will be caught up out from among unbelievers in 1 Thessalonians. And then second coming, unbelievers, who are the tares, will be gathered out first. Okay, two completely different looks. In one case, the believers are caught up from the un leaving the unbelievers, that's rapture, and then unbelievers will be gathered first. And that's second coming. It's it's so clear. It's it's crystal clear. So we're going to go to point seven. With rapture, Satan will not be bound. We see that in Revelation thirteen two, and then in second coming, Satan will be bound in Revelation twenty. And so two completely different events with different things going on. Okay, now we've got to go down to point eight. It says in First Thessalonians, in rapture, the righteous will be removed. And then in second coming, it says in Matthew 25, the wicked will be removed. It's a whole different ballgame, Dina. Mm -hmm. And then let's take a look at point nine. In rapture, the earth is not judged. And how do we know? Because in second coming, it goes on to say the earth is judged at Revelation 20. 
And why is the earth not judged? Because it's not time for that to happen. We know that. We know that by the entire section of Revelation. And so let's go with point 10. In rapture is a mystery, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 51. And finally, second coming is not a mystery. It's foretold in the Old Testament with many scriptures. Amen. So just want to do that little brief overview of rapture versus second coming as two completely, totally different events. And we can see scripture says it very clearly. There should not be any confusion. And so what we're seeing right here in section chapter 14 is the second coming where the Lord is dealing with the wicked in the earth. And so we go back to verse 20 where we left off and it says, And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress and even unto the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Okay, that's a whole bunch of blood, right? Yeah. That is a big bunch of blood. And I want to tell you exactly how much that is. If you knew what a furlong is, here is how much blood that is. Are you ready? Should we get a drum roll going for this? <laughs> okay. It is a 200 mile long area. Okay? Wow. That's what that means. And this is what takes place during this great battle at the end you know in the armageddon and you can even see this going on if you went to zechariah 14 2 and ezekiel 39 8 and 16 talks about how it takes seven months to bury the dead and the armaments of war are burned for seven years following so boy is that going to be a time of terror and we see many scriptures that talk about it, not just Ezekiel, but also if you go into Matthew 24, 21, it says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor no, nor, nor ever shall be. And we also see in Revelation 9, 18, by these three was a third part of men killed by the fire, by the smoke, and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouths. I think we're talking about the evil trinity of the false prophet, the Antichrist, and Satan. Also, we see in Jeremiah 37, 30, verse 7, alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. Daniel 12.1 adds, there shall be a time of trouble such as never was. And if we go on to Joel, we can take a look and it says, And I saw wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars, which pillars could be translated to columns of smoke. And Zephaniah 1.18 goes on to say, the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. And so this is looking to be like a really, really bad time for the history of mankind. And it's coming because the book says it is written, it's going to happen. And hopefully, if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll be out in the rapture, gone into safety. And I want to talk about that 200-mile stretch of blood, okay? Mm -hmm. And... 
It's interesting to note, just a little thing to note, that the area of Israel is approximately 200 miles long. Oh, wow. So that's not a coincidence. Not at all. I think this is a very telling grand finale, is that basically what you do to Israel, God will do to those who do it to them. That's right. It's kind of, you know, like that. And we've seen many instances like that. I could make a point that at the time of Fukushima, which was that terrible event in Japan. Do you recall that, Dina? Yes, that was absolutely horrendous. Right. It was a tsunami, which destroyed quite a bit of Japan. A lot of lives lost and they suffered. They had a... I think they had a blood river that day. I think they had a volcano go off. And they also had a nuclear disaster, which they are still digging out from uh, almost a decade later. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't know that the date of Fukushima, the day it happened, was exact same day that one year prior to the day they had voted in the United Nations against Israel for dividing Israel. They put a vote in against Israel. And it was a one-year anniversary of them doing that, that they got hit. Now, how can you interpret that? Well, I'll tell you how I interpret it. When they voted for Israel to lose land at the United Nations, they themselves lost a good bit of land out to sea a year later in a tsunami. That's right. So this is exactly why God says, do not touch Israel. Well, he says, in, he says in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, that those who bless Israel will be blessed and those who curse Israel will be cursed. Exactly. And exactly. he's proven it. Like I did a video, I want to say, oh goodness, probably five or six years ago about all the instances where um, specifically, actually, the United States had in one way or another cursed Israel or uh, treated Uh Israel very badly. And almost to the day, tornadoes, hurricanes, uh, major, yeah, Yeah. major disasters broke out in the United States within, yeah, within 24 hours. And I believe one of them was uh katrina which it was i believe so i don't know i don't know what the retribution was but i know that if you did a study on this you would just be amazed at just exactly how specifically accurate god is in these terms yeah and it's like don't mess with these apple of his eye and you know it's like israel is like will be a the bible says will be a cup of trembling to the whole earth that's right and we talked about this before it's like why don't we wake up every morning and hear about belgium or you know we don't hear about what the swedes are doing it's always israel well there's a big reason for that because god assigned them to be the people who would take care of the ten commandments aka the law and also it would be the people group that jesus would be forthcoming from and all of these things are you know sacred to god 
and he gives everybody the whole world and he says okay here is this 200 mile stretch of land do not touch it and that's exactly what they want to do they want to touch it because why they think that they can delete god out of history if they can delete israel they can get rid of god if they can get rid of god then they can just sin all they want they don't have to do anything they don't have any guilt they just go crazy and do whatever they want and evil abounds and so that's the goal is to eliminate god but sorry it's not going to happen you know (laughs) it'll never happen no never so well that is our presentation for today chapter 14 next time we will be back to talk about chapter 15 and chapter 16 chapter 15 is an introduction to 16 which is all about the final bowl or also vile judgments the last seven of the 21 judgments dina so we'll be hitting that next time and we hope that everybody is going to come back and join us yeah you don't want to miss uh this next video coming up you guys this next episode and so susan i want to thank you for um always teaching us with the holy spirit you know via the holy spirit thank you so much for taking the time and um coming on the show and uh, i want to thank everybody out there for tuning in and also um this will be uploaded to of course youtube and it'll be available on our jesus 24 7 playlist We will also have it on BitChute and Rumble, as well as um, Deanna is going to create some podcasts for us. So you're going to be able to find it on Anchor and Google and Spotify and Apple. And um, I think that's it. But uh, please do, you know, leave your comments below this video if you have any questions. And Susan, was there anything else you wanted to add? Uh, Just that we appreciate people coming to watch our videos and uh, share them with others. And please pray for our ministry team. Yes, you guys, please do um, send up, you know, a prayer for us. You know, we could use it and uh, we'll be praying for all of you. And so, again, thank you, everybody, for tuning in and we will talk to you soon. God bless.